Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, last week's Western Conference mailbag was so fun. We're going to do the Eastern Conference this week. Spent about four or five minutes on every team we got just deluged with questions here. Basically every possible topic on every possible team. So let's get started here. We'll just go in alphabetical order, starting with the Atlanta Hawks. Um, I, I guess since you see them all the time, I have a question yeah. I want to ask you, sure. which is what do you make out of the uh, Chris Haynes reporting, as only he could with the, the headline that uh, Lloyd Pierce is not on the hot seat and then talking about all the ways in which uh, the, the Hawks uh, have some dysfunction. But what's your thought on the feeling around that team being around them probably more than anyone else. You know, I think their expectations were a little inflated based on the way they closed the season last year. And I think people looked at, well, it's Trey Young and John Collins, and they forgot that they had other halfway decent veterans on that team to kind of help hold things together. And when you replace that with two other rookies and really three, I mean, they're starting Bruno Fernando now too. Yeah, like you can't play five twenty-year-olds and win, and and you can see like they're a horror show on defense, and I don't know why the expectation would have been any different than that. And I, I just think people got really ahead of themselves, and the way they started the season too was a little optimistic, and I think that sort of played into that. And now they're just getting this huge reality check that as as talented as Trey Young is, he is about the worst defensive player in the league, and John Collins slash Jabari Parker certainly aren't helping that any. And then your rookies on the wings aren't helping that any either. So you're going to be totally awful on one end. And without Collins, you're not a great offensive team by any stretch or a one-man band, basically. So I just, I just I question the expectations there because coming in, I thought this team would be quite bad, even if even if Trey Young played at a very high level, just because of the other pieces around them just just weren't there yet. Yeah, Trey, to me, has exceeded any reasonable expectations personally. Certainly as an offensive player he has. I mean, the only thing you can quibble about with him offensively is uh, he doesn't shoot nearly as well on early clock 35-foot pull-ups as he thinks he does. I, yeah. I think that's something he could rein back a little, and I think the other players on his team would appreciate that too, uh, to put it gently. <laughs> and But otherwise, he's a brilliant passer. He, get, he gets where he wants to go on the floor, uh, just – brutalizes people when he rejects screens and goes and takes it back to his left. Uh, you can get himself wide, wide open threes off the dribble doing that. Uh, just a really talented offensive player who basically can be the engine of a decent offense by himself. Uh, but he is truly tragic on defense. And that's, that's one area that I think the Hawks have to invest more effort in is really 
getting him to understand and appreciate that he at least needs to be halfway decent. You know, he needs to take the steps that Damian Lillard took to become a serviceable defensive player, and that's what lets let your offense shine. Yeah, and, and we're starting to hit on this already, but uh, Daco Carter, one of my favorite longtime followers uh, at N.O. Carter, why are the Hawks this bad? And I'm sure it's not just coaching or missing Collins that he references their 143-120 to 120 loss to the Knicks. And so going back to that report by Haynes, too, to me, all of this is was eminently predictable before the season you started to talk about. And you mentioned the expectations when I don't follow politics very closely, but you'll hear people talk about one of the things that you're supposed to do as a campaign is manage expectations because you don't want it coming out in the media that, oh, hey, you are supposed to do really well in this primary and then you didn't. And now this guy's campaign is cratering and, and voters will think he doesn't have a chance to win and they're going to go elsewhere. Well, in the NBA, it's the opposite, right? You generally coming into a season, you want to sell season tickets. I mean, the it seems like there was a lot of excitement about the Hawks coming into this year. You're definitely going to pump up expectations. And considering that they also won seven games more last year than their point differential would have suggested. And then you throw in the clear issues at backup point guard. I mean, that game against Brooklyn trays plus five, they lose by 10. Yeah, they would need to have a backup point guard before they could have an issue at backup point guard. <laughs> yeah, the issues at center. And then you're going to tell me that you're going to play Cam Reddish, gift him 25 minutes a game. When, you know, which is clearly what the mandate is. And, yes. You know, like they, you know, it's interesting. Like the, the Laker game, they were able to generate a wide open corner three, but it wasn't Alan Crabb shooting it. It was reddish. And, you know, if, if, uh, if Crabb or, or another player had been in that position, maybe he has a better chance of making it. And they send that game, uh, you know, in a different direction. Yeah. I mean, even someone like Solomon Hill would be helping them now, but they traded him. For Parsons. So all of these issues were eminently foreseeable before the start of the season. We talked about them before the start of the season. And, you know, to me, if you want to put the blame on anyone for not how bad they are right now, I think it's got to be Travis Schlank for, for my standpoint. Um, you know, I mean, they're playing Reddish this many minutes when he wasn't an effective player in the ACC last year. Like it's not a surprise that he's. Not going to be getting any good, and these wing guys aren't being good. It looks like the bet that they made to move up for Hunter and give up a lot to get him is not working out so far. So I'm uh, I'm a little bit surprised that they're this bad, but mm-hmm. I mean, not much. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the expectations game. I, I really think they should have gone in, and you know, it's one thing in your public statements. You you don't really want to do that as much, but you can kind of low key pull a couple. You know pull your beat reporters aside or whatever and just be like, look, I, here's here's the deal, right? <laughs> like, yeah. we're really young and we're going to get our asses kicked, okay? And and you, you, there's a way to do that and, and kind of manage the expectations better. Yeah, well, they also have all this cap space. And this is a question from uh, Basketball Strategy. Uh, are they two years away from the playoffs, two years away from two years away, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, got Fran Fischel, That's that quote is just going to live on forever. Uh, so yeah, I mean, what, what, if you had to just predict it right now, when do you think the Hawks will next make the playoffs? Um, I think they can be in the race next year and make it the year after. That seems about right to me too. Uh, I mean, one at least good thing here is going to be they're having a good draft pick now this year. Exactly. Which we didn't necessarily think they would. Yeah. And they got 60 million in cap space. Now, are you going to get 
maybe you aren't going to get what you would have gotten with your 60 million in cap space if they were challenging for the playoffs and winning 35 games this year and seemed on more of an upward trajectory and does seem like there's some friction around Lloyd Pierce as well. That's something that's going to need to be sorted out uh, for sure here. Uh, okay. Boston, you want to pick one here? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, B Twitter asks, is there a need for Boston to improve in the Brad Wanamaker spot or is it boot come meaningful time anyways? I would love to see Chris Dunn there, uh, which is kind of funny because that was one of the, that draft year, that was one of the rumors that Boston was going to take Chris Dunn. Um, yeah, a, a false rumor as it turned out. They were yes, not interested yes. in him in the slightest from what I heard. The, um, I think this is interesting because everyone is focused on Boston getting a center, Boston getting a center, but all the guys they could plausibly get are basically impossible salary matches. And the other thing you see with the Celtics is that they have five good players spread across four positions and is fine as long as all five are completely healthy in the same game and don't have fouls. But a sixth one would help them and is much more plausible for them to obtain, I think, than a than somebody who is a meaningful upgrade on Daniel Tice and fits in any kind of salary slash trade construction whatsoever. So the thing you ask yourself is, would Boston be better off going after a $10 million wing player who is pretty good? And, and is that, does that type of player push them further forward than trying to trade for whatever center you want them to trade for when honestly, like Tice has been pretty good? Yeah. Now, if you have to, if he has to go against Embiid, he's going to get murdered, right? I mean, that's there are certain matchups that are going to be major problems for them. If they play against Milwaukee, he's going to get physically overwhelmed by Giannis, who a lot of times you want your center guard. They just don't have anyone on this team really to guard yeah. Giannis at all. Um, you know, maybe semi Ojale. Ojale is probably their best Giannis defender. Like the one thing he d- he does pretty well against Giannis and Ben Simmons is he doesn't he plays way too far off guys, but like he doesn't get he doesn't let anybody get past him. So right. Uh, so so he's he can be effective in those minutes, but he's a complete and total zero on offense. And I think in a playoff situation, you just need more than that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right, especially against a team like Milwaukee or Philly, who are, are going to uh, make it so difficult to score. To begin with, but I mean, they have a lot of talent on this team uh, and it's largely young talent. I don't think it's the end of the world if you just kind of grow with this and, and had some cursory conversations with uh, some of their guys at the showcase. And, and basically their thought is just what we've been talking about. Like, who is this upgrade at center who's worth trading one of your five best players, i.e. five biggest salaries? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nobody worth moving the Memphis pick for, uh, at this point who's available. So. I mean, if I had to guess, I think it'll maybe, you know, maybe there's one more low level move involving a second or something. Um, maybe it's the buyout market, uh, although they don't have any exceptions left to use money to get those guys. Uh, you know, it just has to be a prorated minimum, but they can offer a role to someone who's a little bit more veteran who gets bought out. I think there's still a little bit of hope internally in Boston that by April that maybe Romeo Langford or Grant Williams can play those minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if Grant Williams could just make shots, I think he would, he could be a valuable rotation player. But yeah, certainly relying on either of those guys in the playoffs, you know, it seems Dyson. less likely. Yeah. 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 But I mean, you know, I, as good as Milwaukee is right now, I don't know that you're feeling like, Oh man, the East is like there for the taking. Like I, I no matter who they get, they're not beating Milwaukee in my opinion. Well, cer- certainly last year would provide some, uh, some, a pretty good, uh, base of evidence that you, you would need, you would need to create vastly different conditions than a year ago. 
Okay, let's do a quick lightning round here. Uh, we hit on a couple of these already. Uh, is the general media, media overvaluation of Jason Tatum a result of a large portion of the media hailing from Boston? I, I, do you agree that he is overvalued? Ooh, maybe a little. Um, he, de- like, definitely his rookie year, probably. But yeah. I don't know. I think, I think it's sort of leveled off a little. Um, I, I don't think, like, I, I think people are talking more about Jalen Brown now, rightfully. Uh, than, than about Tatum, but he's, I mean, Tatum's a good young player. Like there's, you yeah. know, like what, what, what do you want us but, to but say? Is, right? Is he like, like, is he like no brainer max extension to you this off season? I think, so. I mean, based on some of the other ones that have happened, I mean, <laughs> but seriously, like a, a young wing player with size, like that's, that's what everyone's looking for, right? They can play across three positions yeah. basically. Like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a definite Matt. Like we were talking about with Brandon Ingram last week. Like certainly, if you're going to max Ingram, you would max Tatum, right? Maybe. I, I mean, uh, is Ingram playing better now than Tatum has? Uh, I don't know. Tough, tough to say. Uh, uh, Ingram just th- that defensive ecosystem in New Orleans is so bad right now. I think it's really hard to judge anybody. Um, but yeah, uh, Tatum is interesting. That the odd-off numbers are very, very favorable to him right now. But part of that is the issues that they've had with their bench. Uh, okay, quick break here, and then we'll talk a little. Brooklyn Nets Masterclass is offering you an awesome deal for the holidays. Buy one all access pass, which gets you over 70 wide ranging class offerings, and you get one free to gift as well. Two for one, one for yourself and one to gift at masterclass.com slash PER. That's right, John invented PER. Easy to remember that one, isn't it? I just am so impressed with the quality of Masterclass. My wife actually started using it before we knew they were even going to be on the program. She's interested in getting more into writing. So she did Margaret Atwood's class, which she thought was awesome. A lot of great exercises for her to get better. Steph Curry, of course, has shooting and ball handling. Serena Williams does tennis. This is really cinema style quality acting from a number of awesome actors, including Samuel L. Jackson. Annie Leibovitz does photography. And whether you're just kind of a polymath, want to learn more about some of these subjects, watch the class, or really get in depth and get better at these things and do the exercises, Masterclass is awesome for either of those courses. You can watch it on your phone, your tablet, Apple TV, your computer. They also have downloadable lesson recaps, a bunch of supplemental materials. For example, some of these cooking classes come with awesome guides that are the level of a a high-end cookbook. And users give Masterclass an average rating of 4.7 out of 5 stars. In case for some reason you're not satisfied, they offer a 30-day money-back guarantee on the annual all-access pass. Once again, the way to get started with them and get that buy one, get another one free to gift all-access pass. Go to masterclass.com slash PER. Remember John Hollinger invented PER. Easy to remember that one. Masterclass.com slash PER. Let them know that you came from us. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is 
is America's number one organic bread for a reason. It tastes so stinking good. Dave's Killer Bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-GMO ingredients and is power-packed with whole grains, fiber, and protein. Visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for Dave's Killer Bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store. All right, what do you want to start with on the Nets? Put uh, four minutes on the clock here. Okay, so we have about 20 versions of the same question. I'll pull the one by uh, Doobie underscore Y. Uh, should the Nets sell high on Dinwiddie to help resolve crowded backcourt after Kyrie and Levert return? Yeah, so, by the way, that's uh, D-U-B-I underscore Y. Oh, I'm, so, I'm just, sorry. Yes, just, yes. Just to be sh- just so people there are, know. There, there are not... other spellings of Doobie <laughs> that imply different things, yes. Uh, or, or at least did 30 years ago. <laughs> hey, that was my prime, man. <laughs> so the the Dinwiddie question regarding Kyrie and Levert is really interesting because when those guys were playing, the Nets looked kind of underachieving. And now that they're out of the lineup and Dinwiddie's running everything, he's playing like an all-star. And so what happens when these two guys return? Do the Nets have a couple options? I think, you know, do you sell high on Dinwiddie right now, given what is, con- I mean, hugely favorable contract if he's going to be a go-to guy for your team, right? Um, do you trade Kyrie? I mean, is it, is that on the table or do you risk pissing off Durant? And so you well, can't do and, that. And, and don't forget too, Dinwiddie was like the big reason that Kyrie wanted to come, who was then the reason that Durant wanted to come. That's a good point. What a, what a I, domino I, effect. To, wow. To me, Lavert is the guy to move. To me, okay, so Levert to me is is a little bit tangential to the other. Like, I don't think Levert is that great. He has great promise, yeah. but he's not the current version of him is is an overrated player. I think. Yeah, but but his value is only going to go down, especially now that Dinwiddie. I mean, you're basically like between Dinwiddie, Kyrie, and KD. There's really no purpose for Levert anymore, and Dinwiddie is better than Levert. I agree, he's better. But what is he? What is Dinwiddie doing when Kyrie and Durant come back? Well, he's gonna, he'll play backup point guard. He can shoot well. I know he's not shooting it amazingly well, but I think he's an acceptable spot up shooter. He can defend the two. Um, so I, I think he, I, your question is like, could he be in the closing lineup with those guys? Is, like you're asking him to that? be almost a three and D guy when those are the two least exceptional yeah. things about his game. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a, a reasonable point. But again, I mean, I think you just, the, in a perfect world, you probably would explore the market, but I just don't think, especially because, it seems like a little bit of a chemistry house of cards here anyway, to begin with mm-hmm. that throwing and Dinwiddie, I think is a really good chemistry guy that that seems pretty clear to me. So, uh, I, I'm, uh, I wouldn't necessarily be in, in favor of doing that at least until you got to maybe next trade deadline. Once you see KD and Kyrie and Dinwiddie all together, I mean, you don't really know what KD is going to be. Um, you know, in what is the overwhelming package that you would get for Dinwiddie? What if Orlando calls you and says, we'll give you, yeah. I don't know. Fultz and two firsts or something, or we'll, well give Fultz, you. Fultz is a terrible fit with their guys. Okay, but, all right. Yeah, no, well, no, but that level of thing, I, I realize what you're. Or saying. Orlando calls and says, "We'll give you Aaron Gordon," or something. You know what I mean? Something to some. I I agree. They should just deal him for whatever. But there are potential situations I think where a team could make an offer that would be reasonable for that team and also really make Brooklyn think about it. Yeah, it just it, it's so hard for me to do that without the information of what this team looks like with KD back. Um, so I, I agree. With you. I mean, Levert, I got no problem moving. They effectively can't trade him now, though, until the off season. So it does seem like there's not really a way for much to happen unless it is Dinwiddie. Uh, 
Maybe you could package him with DeAndre Jordan. They're really, uh, <laughs> really mess up your, your chemistry and, uh, you know, use him as a way to get off of Jordan in addition to getting some assets. But, um, yeah, I mean, cause they obviously the three and D wing is what they really need. I think Jared Allen is actually, I know he had a rough game last night, but he is, uh, he's playing well enough. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think center is a worry. Jared Allen just had a couple of Shackton plays last night, but he's been good. Um, okay. Let's move on here. Uh, Charlotte Hornets. Bunch of questions here about Devontae Graham. We'll take this one from Will Freeborn. Is Devontae a piece the Hornets should consider building around or should they shop him in the near future while his value is sky high and begin their rebuild in earnest? I mean, I don't think he's good enough that he's going to like mess up your rebuild. Yeah. He's a, you know, he's a good player. He's one that they'll obviously need to talk about what his, what his future should be contractually with them and how he fits into their cap environment. But Charlotte has so much clear cap going forward that paying him isn't going to be an issue. Even with Razier on the books, paying him isn't going to be an issue. Even if they want to sign another max free agent, paying him isn't going to be an issue. You look like they're, they're very clear after this year. But, um, I, I do think there are more questions regarding like, how good is he? How does he fit with Rozier? And they have enough time to find the answers to those questions though, especially because he's, um, He's on the, one of those three year second, um, second round contract deals. So you don't have that barrier to an extension that you have with a first round pick where it has to be done by the first day of the season. They could do it in the, you know, in the middle of next season or next you know, June 2021. They could do it. Yeah. And to be clear, he is a non guaranteed next year at the minimum and then becomes a restricted free agent in the summer of 20. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they pick up the guarantee. That's this my, system. that's my hot take for today. Uh, all right, what else you got here? Well, I have to take a question as a Redskins fan from Spurrier FTW. <laughs> Remind me of one of the many golden era, eras of uh, post-Joe Gibbs, Washington Redskins football. Right. Well, if they, um, if they hire uh, Urban Meyer, you'll be right back there. Another uh, ex-Florida <laughs> coach. They've done so well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> all righty. Uh, um I, do you think, uh, he asked, uh, do you think Rozier and Devontae Graham can be a long-term backup pairing for the Hornets? Or ba- backcourt pairing, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. A backup yeah. pairing, you'd have a really good team. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, what is Charlotte trying to build? I mean, we've seen that they wanted to just, you know, be the fifth seed if they're lucky in the eighth seed or the twelfth seed if they weren't a lot of years. Um, so, you probably don't have enough size there ultimately to be a real high level second round of the playoffs kind of team. Uh, but they're so far away from that. It, maybe you ultimately run into some questions about it, uh, where you see when they land in the draft, right? I, I think that if they can get those two guys to actually be decent enough fits and maybe one ends up coming off the bench. That's what I next, think. Yeah. If one of them's yeah. your third guard and one of them's your starter, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Yeah. But, and they can both shoot. I mean, Rozier yeah. can defend and he can shoot. And so you get 48 good minutes of point guard play. They can play some time together. And then maybe you have, you hope to in the draft get a ball dominant star who's more of a wing guy uh, who could play next to either of them at times. And we, you know, we know how comfortable Rozier is coming off the bench as well. So that shouldn't be, <laughs> so it shouldn't be any problem at all, right? <laughs> Although, I mean, not, now that he's paid, perhaps it wouldn't be as much of an issue. Uh, but no, I mean, they're so far away from doing anything. It's like, these are, these are decent players. Yeah. You know what? You're not going to win a championship with a Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier backcourt, but you know, 
22 teams are never going to win a championship in a exactly. year or so. In, in the short term, you have time to ride this out and see what you have because of their contract situations. You don't have to make that decision today or tomorrow or even within, within the next year if you don't want to. Um, all right, last question here. This is a good one. Uh, Miles Bridges or PJ Washington? Do the Hornets need to make a choice between them now? I would say no, but just in general, who do you think is the better prospect among those two guys? I like PJ a little better. I just think he has a little bit more skill to him that can, uh, develop in different directions. Um, his defense is sneakily pretty terrible, I've found. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's some validity to that. And that's part of the reason he's often not on the floor late in games and they turn to Marvin Williams. Uh, he, he has to get better there. By the way, Marvin Williams, I think could really help a playoff team. I don't know what the trade is that gets him there, but like, I think he could play 25 minutes a game in the yeah, playoffs. Getting, team getting and, to his good. number is going to be hard. Uh, that's why he may end up being a buyout guy instead. I, I think he has enough equity there that if he came to them and said, look, I want to play in the playoffs, they'd be cool with it. Yeah. I mean, 65% true shooting this year. He can switch. He protects the rim. Like he's a good player. Yeah. And he doesn't, and he doesn't need the ball. Yeah. Yeah. For, I mean, for what contending type teams are usually looking for. He really fits the bill because he like he can even play five in a lot of situations, a lot of you know playoff type situations where everyone's trying to size down and junk up the game. He can, he can play in those scenarios. All right, let's get to the Bulls here. Uh, it's Evie uh, first asked if he's in the right conference this time. We we hilariously had a number of submissions for the Eastern Conference when we were doing the Western Conference last year uh, or last week, but uh, but this time we are in the right conference, uh, Evie. Uh, the Bulls use Wendell Carter Jr. as an old-school rebounding and dunks big on offense. Uh, do they need to utilize him differently to improve the offense and, and any other things that they could be doing to improve offensively right now? Uh, he's really reluctant to shoot the ball. Yeah. and it's he's taking it, a few more in like the last couple of games. But yeah, it's definitely yeah. been a storyline in Chicago this year. And it's odd because he was never a great shooter at Duke, but he was at least something of a threat. And he's just – there's so many times where he just pulls the ball – that the record scratches, as you call them. Yeah. And they hurt more on a team like Chicago. Like in Toronto, I'll, I'll use the example of Marcus Saul, right? Like when he pulls down the ball on an open shot it doesn't and doesn't shoot, they usually have somebody else who can still create a shot out of that possession because what does he do? He passes it to Lowry or Van Vliet or Siakam and they dribble and create something. Maybe not. It's maybe it's not quite as good a, sh- a shot as the one Mark passed up, but it's at least in a somewhat similar neighborhood. Whereas when you turn down a shot and then you're like, hey, Ryan Archidiakono, <laughs> here, do something with this in the last five seconds of the shot clock. I mean, that's just, that's just a killer. And so yeah. I, I think he has to be more – a, more of a threat and that'll open up some other things. Cause like he could do some stuff like with passing and like he has some craftiness to him, but if you don't have to guard him, it doesn't matter. Yeah. He's taking only uh, about 10% of his shots outside of 15 feet and shooting under 20% uh, on such shots so far this year. Obviously that's a very limited number uh, overall for them to get better. Off, and I do think Carter, I've been impressed with the strides he's taken as a finisher around the basket this year. I think that's uh Something that he can point to, to to be happy about his overall efficiency uh, is back where it needs to be if, if you're going to be a center. But, yeah, you would like to see him roll to the basket a little bit more aggressively as well. I think their big problem, though, has just been, like, if you look at their shot mix, it's some of the best in the NBA. They're just not going in. And 
Part of that is just, I think they don't have a ton of spacing. They miss a lot of shots at the basket. I also, Zach Levine also is starting to come around a little bit. Like he had struggled uh, throughout a lot of the year. Now he's starting to shoot it better. He's at 40% from three. Markinen was really struggling. He's slight uptick. Uh, you know, I but, still, th- but the yeah. Markinen thing just baffles me. I still think every shot is going in when he shoots it. And, and they just don't. He's like, he's like the new Martell Webster. Like, wow, that looks beautiful. Back rim. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, he's not been that 40% from three guy that you thought he would be. And that, that would change so much to me uh, for this team. But they're also starting Chris Dunn at the three right now. Yeah. You know, I, I, you're, you're only missing Otto Porter, really the one guy who is least replaceable on this whole team. 100%. Him, yeah. Him being out this whole year and he was such a reliable spot up shooter. To go from him to Dunn is such a massive downgrade, and Thaddeus Young is having his uh, least efficient year uh, in forever as well. I mean, Thaddeus Young shooting forty five percent on twos. I mean, that's like that's not it's acceptable. Been, yeah. He shoots only around the rim on those twos. Yeah, it's been it's been a rough go for Thad this year. I've been really really surprised. I thought he'd really help them, and yeah, just and defensively, I think he has. Like they've been good defensively. You know, despite maybe the unsustainability of some of that, but he's helped them a ton there, at least. And that's where, I mean, that's where Dunn has how, I mean, Dunn has a case to be on the all defense team. I think he's been fantastic at that end. Just offensively, he just takes so much off the table. Um, bunch of questions about like potentially trading Zach Levine. Um, I think that's just one of these. Well, they're underperforming. So let's trade the best player. You know, it's a very yeah. kind of like 20 years ago sort of. Thought. I mean, I think he's starting to play better. I don't. I don't know that. I mean, defensively, I think he's a problem, but they defended okay still uh, with them out there. Maybe the thought is, hey, we got to get way out on the floor and pressure up and force a bunch of turnovers because if we try to stay solid, Levine's going to screw up for us anyway. So we might as well like try to scramble around and force some turnovers because we're going to give up open shots regardless, even if we stay solid because Levine will never do that. Yeah, I see. I don't. I don't get why they're so. Uh, so pressure happy. I mean, it's, it's, it's working, but I just wonder if they're, if, if they could be even better and if they might have more energy left for offense. If they, like, they're a big team. Like, they should, you look at them and you think they could just use their size and kind of play a pretty conservative scheme with these, you know, Markinen, Carter, Sadoransky's six, seven playing the point. You know, Levine is jumping bean six, five. I mean, again, having Porter would help again. Uh, but like, even their backups are pretty big. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the question of any contenders that could use Levine, uh, it just doesn't really seem to make sense to trade someone that age who's making, I consider him a decent value on that contract. His ideal role probably is like a sixth man on a really good team. Uh, you know, close some games if you're doing well, but you know, not, not every team is a really good team and teams need scoring and he's the only one really who can do it off the dribble for these guys. Yeah. I mean, I, offensively, he's getting to the point where he's like, he's a good offensive player now. And yeah. just, I mean, he's shooting forty percent from three on really difficult attempts, and he's just, and he's find that he's figuring out how to draw fouls, which he never did before. And you know, he still occasionally his shot selection gets questionable, but that's that's really the only thing you can point at now. But yeah, he's become he's become a really good offensive player, and it underscores how bad the rest of their offense is that they're still a bad offensive team with him. What do you think uh, Felicio's trade market is? <laughs> oh, we saw him this week. <laughs> yes, he, he's playing for the Windy City Bulls. <laughs> he was, he was, you know, what? he was actually on my plane to the showcase. Believe it or not. Oh man! Uh, so you fly first class all the time? That's awesome, dude. 
I got I got uh, upgraded at the buzzer. Actually, it was it was a nice perk. Oh, he actually. Oh, yeah, actually. I guess you have like a shitload of points. You probably do fly first. Class. Uh, so many delta miles. Yes. Um. Oh yeah. From from Atlanta. Uh. All right. Let's do a quick read here, and then we'll get into uh some of the, some of the rest of these. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. All right, Cleveland, Ryan Anderson, Ryan and 709-38152. I'm reminded of uh, there's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where uh, Data somehow gets reprogrammed to take control of the Enterprise and he is able to mimic Picard's voice to like get voice command of the ship. And then he creates this password, this voice password that is like, you know, a hundred numbers long and he just says them all in Picard's voice. And like that, that's what that guy's, uh, that guy's sure handle reminds me of. Uh, this, this has been your weekly Star Trek The Next Generation throwback. Speaking Just in case this podcast ago. wasn't getting geeky enough, <laughs> we got we got some Star Trek for you. Uh, okay, so we say what Ryan's question actually is here. Yeah, he says, "What's your assessment of Kevin Porter Jr. so far?" Uh, I think if you just pretend that Porter was the fifth pick and Garland was the thirtieth pick, you might feel a little better about the Cavs. Um, <laughs> I so so you like him then? I I have very mixed feelings about him. Uh, but it hasn't been a great draft, and I think he's his minutes have been more promising than Garland's uh, because he has that that first step, that kind of athletic juice that that you're not going to be able to teach. Uh, he's actually an okay passer. Uh, I still question his shot. It's a weird push. It, the spin's all messed up. Uh, he was able to convert a decent percentage at USC on a small sample, uh, but I I still don't know if I if I really trust that shot of his. But he's an athletic wing who can do some stuff. Now, the tricky thing with Porter is that a lot of teams in the draft had a lot of questions about him off the court and what he was doing and what, um, uh, you know, there was some stuff even at USC. And we just don't know how that's going to manifest itself. But in a team like Cleveland's situation where they're so devoid of talent – I think they at least have to be encouraged that that late in a bad draft, they have somebody who you could imagine becoming a starting wing in a couple of years. The fact that he's shooting the the ball better from the free throw line is good. He had this weird thing where he's shooting like fifty percent from the foul line in college. Again, he you know he played half a year or two. Uh, he's finishing around the rim extremely well. Uh, and imagine how well he can do that once he discovers uh, that appendage attached to the upper right side of his body. Um, yes, very left-handed, definitely. <laughs> um, and he's playing out of position at the three, like asking him to defend threes. I mean, that's just unfair to what he is at this point in time, but they just have so many guards that that's just where he's going to get playing time. So, yeah, I mean, I think he, he was talented, and 
to be able to at least show some flashes as the number 30th pick that they basically just bought uh, has to make you feel pretty good. Um, so speaking of Garland, what is wrong with Darius Garland? Is he done for as a star prospect as uh, Country Billy at Dan Soch? I don't think you can say done for this early on almost any prospect. Um, the the odds aren't looking real great. Um, le- so let me let me play excuse Orama. Um, he he missed last year with a knee injury, right? So he may still be in some ways physically working back from that, even though he's cleared to play and fine and not like overtly limping or anything. But there are yeah. there are some subtle things to coming back from that that can take a little longer. Um, he can shoot at least decently. I think one of the things that's hurt is he hasn't been, he hasn't been like a crazy shooter. He's just been okay. And I think he needs to be a crazy good shooter to really make it as a, as a starting guard. Uh, he also, uh, in the Memphis game the other night, I will say they put him on John Morant and he did a pretty good job. That's probably the best I've seen yeah. him hold up defensively this season. And so that, that would provide some encouragement. Now he's, I do think he's try, he tries to do the right things mm-hmm. defensively, even if he, he just lacks physicality and any kind of like scrum under the rim and they just have no size on that team. Yeah. But I think he does try to make the right rotations. Uh, you know, he does try to give an effort. Yeah. And the other thing that hurts him is just, he's just not a plus athlete to me. Like Sexton yeah. is athletic. Like he does stuff where you go, whoa. And that just never, there's never a woe with Garland. It's just n- never happening. And so he has to get his skill level to the point where he's, you know, top 5% in the league to, to offset that to me. He's, he's small, smallish. He's not a point guard really. Like what is his, his advantage has to be just crazy skill and he's not there. Yeah. I mean, I know this is like a bullshit analytics stat, but he has a 7.6 PER right now. Who the hell came up with that crap? Uh, but I mean, it, so never ever gets to the foul line. Um, one of the things when I had Chris Fedor on the, their, uh, writer for cleveland.com on my show before the season to do their preview, he said they're talking about, Oh, he's a true point guard. He's going to be like diming guys up. You didn't really see that in college. You're not seeing that at all. Uh, you know, the passing between him and Sexton is, uh, poor as Kevin yeah. Love could probably tell you. He never gets a rebound. I mean, he turns the ball over a lot. He can't finish at the rim when he gets in there. Uh, the floater game hasn't been like some massive thing. So the only flashes you'll see is every once in a while he'll cross a guy up and you know go for a super deep three pointer that he'll make. But it just even the guys who were terrible statistically, like that's not necessarily so much what's bothering me as just the total lack of flashes that you see from him. Of like, oh, this is what he could yeah. be. And yeah, you know, maybe so, the hope is you compare yeah. it to Sexton last year, where Sexton was horrible at the beginning of last year, but There'd be in the midst of like 20 horrible plays, there would be two or three where you went, Oh, where you could, you could see why. Okay. That's, that's why they picked him where they did. Yeah. Well, and Sexton hasn't really been any good either. So that's, that's another problem. If you're, uh, um, okay. Detroit Cactus Carlo. What do you think the Pistons should look for in a potential trade for Drummond and or Blake? Uh, so a, should they be traded? I mean, they, those names didn't come up as much when we did that pod. Um, and what should they look for for them? I mean, I guess you're just getting looking for something at this point. Anything, somebody, if you pl- do somebody, it. please offer us something. I mean, Detroit is just so painted into a corner that it's going to be really hard to get themselves out of just long term 
purgatory with this team where yeah. I, I mean you look at these guys who is the best player on their team right now that realistically is going to be there in two years Luke Kennard yeah that's it that's the only and Siku if he uh you know if he develops I mean that's probably those are your two guys Derek like to the extent they've been decent this year it's been Rose uh, and Derek Drummond Rose, right yeah and, and those guys you know not necessarily part of what they're doing uh now you could see Drummond just being brought back just because it's like he doesn't have anywhere that really wants him, and Detroit doesn't have any better options. So, hey, we'll just keep him around and try to be respectful again next year. He could also but, opt in because if he yeah. opts out of twenty eight point seven, I don't see him getting that in this market. Yeah, I was, I was having a conversation with the, an executive, which uh, you know, that, that, that's one of the things that's so hilarious is like when you have these conversations and you can then report and say, oh, like a league executive like said this, and it's like, oh, now I can put this in my column, and yet it's like. <laughs> I mean, you, you being in this situation, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but like, and you didn't really know much more then than you do now as you're sitting here talking to me, do you? Uh, in many, like about like what's going to happen in the league or like when you're making like predictions about like, is Drummond going to opt out or right, right. In a scenario like this, probably not. <laughs> in yeah. a scenario like yeah. this, I probably would have been spitballing just as much as anyone else. Obviously, when you've took, more will team X trade player Y. That's where you tend to operate with a little more information because you, if you've done your homework, you kind of get an idea of whether of the extent to which that player is available. Yeah, but something yeah. something like this, I I think everyone's roughly equally in the dark. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and even even then, I think you're kind of just it, it's it's interesting just that you can add and say, Oh, well, league executive said this. And now there's like this patina of expertise where it's like, well, <laughs> I mean, some things they might know and some things yeah, they might just exactly. be sitting here and we're just having a conversation, but Hey, you know, people eat that shit up. So, yep. uh, I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> hey, you know uh, who else is a piston two years from now? Yeah. Blake Griffin at the low, low price of $39 million. Hey, hey man, he might opt in. Um, I mean, it's, <laughs> you, it's, you think he'll opt in? <laughs> It's, uh, it really is a bummer though that he, I mean, he was so good last year and then it clearly that injury, uh, yep. has robbed him of whatever he had. It was, that was one of those, oh, he can't make it worse, you know, type of thing. So come back and play. And every time I've heard that, I, I'm like, okay, it's one of two things. Either he can't make it worse because it's already so bad. There's no further damage to do or it's they're wrong and he clearly does make it worse. I mean, every time you hear that, the guy playing on something, he can't make it worse. Yeah, he comes Brandon back Roy, right? Hey, he can't make it worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's like the poster. Meta World Peace did that one year too with the Lakers. Uh, it's never, and it's it always is with one. It's hilarious to me because it's always one of these like meniscus, cartilage, debridement type of surgeries where it does seem like you can make it worse. Uh, I don't know. I don't understand why you'd be saying that you can't make that worse. Uh, anyway. Oh, I'm not a doctor. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's move on to, uh, to Indiana here. Sure. Mark Walsh, Mark Walsh, 72, 72. If Oladipo returns to 80, 90% of what he was by playoff time, how good are the Indiana Pacers? Okay. So first things first, I think we need to rain on the parade a little bit with Indiana that they've been very fortunate to amass the record they have in terms of just uh, you're not going to play every game against Cleveland the whole year. And they uh, probably with point differential are a little fortunate too. So I, I think even though Oladipo potentially coming back pushes them forward, I think other factors push against them. Yeah, th- fair enough. But 
I, I guess really the question you're looking at is where do they fall into the Boston Toronto, uh, hierarchy here, Miami hierarchy as that second tier in the East is kind of where we're looking at ultimately. Yeah. I mean, can, you know, can they play with any of those teams with Oladipo? Probably. I mean, you look even like crap, even two years ago, they took LeBron to the seventh game and probably should have won that series with basically with a lot of the same things that this team has. I mean, you know, technically some of the players were different, but like, okay, you have, you know, Brogdon instead of Collison, right? Like the, it's, it's the same. Functionally, a lot of the things are the same about it. And like one through nine, this team's pretty good. Like in a playoff series, like I, I think they're strong. I just, uh, they don't really have a lot of superstar power to them. And I think even Oladipo coming back probably isn't going to give you that. They're just, they're just kind of top to bottom solid the way it's kind of similar to how Toronto is, except I'm not sure they're quite as strong at each spot as Toronto is. Yeah. So to quantify a little bit what you were just saying, cleaning the glass has, uh, Indiana right now, excluding garbage time with a plus 5.5 net rating mm-hmm. and 538 projects the Pacers at the end of the season to be plus 1.8. So that will show you how much harder their schedule is going to get. Maybe there's some regression baked in there as well. I don't think they're particularly high on the Pacers at the start of the year. Uh, and I don't know what their projection is for Latipo, but th- that does just show you a little bit that clearly their schedule early on has been a uh, pretty easy. Yeah. It, it's tough to say because they are going to be a different kind of team. If you see them, say, matching up against Boston and, you know, Boston doesn't really have any kind of a way to deal with Sabonis. Are they going to be able to just switch around enough behind the play and double team to deal with that? But I think, you know, 80 to 90% of Oladipo, if that's the assumption, I don't think that gets it done to beating those other teams, especially because, as you mentioned, some, some of their appeal is their depth and you, that just, you can only, you can't bring that to bear as much in the playoffs. Can I add a what if? Yeah. What if they trade Turner? What if they traded Turner and got somebody who meshes better with Sabonis? Uh, as a four? As a four, like a three-four. I mean, I hate to rain on your parade, but uh, like, what actual player is that? Uh, I don't know. A pl- a player. I know these pesky questions <laughs> can get difficult, but but it does it does have to be the uh, the th- three-four. Uh, combo four that created in a lab that we could trade Miles Turner for. Um, who yeah. is that guy? Yeah, I'm sure Toronto would like trade Siakam for him, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it does get a little harder. Um, I mean that's, and I mean you do uh, a big concern about them is who is going to guard Siakam or some of these guys on Boston or Jimmy Butler. Uh, that that I think it is a concern when you're looking at a potential four five or three six matchup in the first round. Uh, but I, yeah, I think ultimately to me they don't have enough scoring punch with Oladipo at eighty to ninety percent of what he was, especially because what made him so good was just that nuclear athleticism out of the pick and roll to just blow by guys and get to the rim. Which uh, it, uh with yeah. him getting older and coming off this injury questionable whether that's going to still be there yeah um, i think there's still going to be even when he comes back i think there's still just going to be a lot of a lot of two-point jump shots from this team okay uh, i'm going to modify this question quickly uh steven ragsdale what is your evaluation of the suburner or suburner the suburner wow you, in, you inadvertently created a great nickname <laughs> suburner uh 
So just give me like a one to ten rating of how well that pairing has worked for you so far. I don't know, six and a half? Like they're good, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you know, it's just. It's been a lot better than I thought. Compared to expectations, I would say it's like, you know, an eight to me. Although, I mean, they, their best stretch of the year was when Turner was out, right? I, I'm yeah. not totally sure that was an accident. Uh, okay. The Miami Heat, four minutes on the clock for them. Who, uh, Luis Kazaku. Who would be the favorites in a possible four or five seed playoff battle between Toronto and Miami? I, uh, at full strength, I would, I would go with Toronto on that one. My, Miami has one, Miami has one big thing in its favor is, is the Jimmy Butler factor. But I just think, I just think Toronto is just top to bottom a stronger team. If you tell me that these guys, some of the guys who've been above expectations continue to play at this level, I like Miami. Um, I think the way they defend and just their overall athleticism, and I thought the, the end of that game that Miami won in Toronto was very telling to me where Siakam, who's going to be their guy, could not get anything one-on-one. They really, str- I think they're really going to struggle to get shots against Miami. That would be an awesome coaching matchup too between Spo and Nick Nurse. I think that would, it would be, and, and all those teams have so many pieces, so many interesting pieces like that. Yeah. I mean, that we saw that game was like one of the best games of the year. And, uh, yes, if that's the four or five, please sign me up for it. Um, I'm with, I'm with you on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you take in Miami's superior home court advantage to Toronto as well. Sorry. <laughs> home, home club advantage, maybe. <laughs> okay. Uh, who is the gettable player that can put Miami over the top? Certainly. One more real elite pick and roll guy to me is what they need is just a general player archetype. Mm-hmm. Now, Drew Holiday. Uh, that was that the, so. That was the first name I was going to come up with. Who's not like not perfect offensively? Maybe like he is, I guess, a pick and roll guy, but he's. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if he's like the main guy on a high level playoff team with that, but you put in his defense with Butler and Bam. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, good luck scoring on this team, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, I'd be very interested to know what the value of their young guys who emerged hero supposedly from the discussions I had, they're like viewing him as untouchable right now. I mean, you know, well, untouchable guys have a way of becoming touchable when, when all stars become available. So yeah, I, I could see to, cause to me, if you don't have future first, which the heat basically don't, then. You got to put Hero on the table if you want to get anybody good. You got to you got to yeah. say, okay, it's going to be Hero and Winslow, and then take all these guys. So, so none, none, and Duncan Robinson on minimum contracts for another two years. That doesn't do it for you. I just don't think a rebuilding ish team is going to care. I mean, you still have to pay them something at the end of the day. Your, your big advantage is next year when you have the month for one point six. But yeah. Yeah, I think you can make the argument they're worth more to Miami now than they are to anyone else. I would agree with that, um, especially in the Heat's uh, salary situation. So, I mean, to me, the guys you're trying to trade are like, you know, the, the same four or five guys they've been trying to trade for like the last four years, right? But like, yeah, I mean, Winslow clearly is in that deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe there's a. It depends. No one really seemed to have an idea at the showcase of. If the, I mean, clearly this is out there for a reason that they at least are listening on holiday, but no one has seemed to have any kind of an idea of like, A, what 
Griff would want in terms of like assets. I mean, the one thing that was thought is like, Hey, they, they got to at least get a player who's going to contribute on the floor right now. It can't just be draft picks. That was one thought. But then also, what does he think the value of Drew really is? You know, is yeah. it, and Mike Conley, it's going to be a, above that in theory. Well, above that is what he's going to be wanting. But do other teams see it that way? Do other teams who might be going after him have assets even pay more than that? Yeah. And the other thing is that because Holiday still has uh, the years left on his deal, I mean, he has he has one and then the opt-out, I guess. So it's one and a half and then his opt-out, uh, which is exactly where we were with Mike Conley uh, last February, where the ball is in still in your court to say, if we don't like what's out there at the trade deadline, we can wait, you know, fine, we'll go to the draft. So because of that, I do think – I do think you're going to have to meet their price a little bit. And if something that, if something falls short of whatever they've internally decided his value is, they'll just wait. They don't have to deal him right now. No, it seems more likely that that's something that could happen in the summer and that they still want to see what he looks like with sign. Okay. Milwaukee. I think this is an interesting one. Uh, Bojack Sigma at people's reporter and a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, forget whether the Bucks should have traded. Brogdon and not re-signed him did they fail to use him properly as a playmaker when they had him last year and did that lower their ceiling last year you could argue that Bledsoe got in his way I mean based on seeing him in Indiana now that they could have had him on the ball more especially when Giannis was out of the game and they didn't because they had Bledsoe and basically honestly they decided to play pay Bledsoe instead of Brogdon right they just did it ahead of time by doing the extension so that's that's a really interesting basketball what if is what if what if they had decided that that Brogdon would be that guy and not Bledsoe or what if they hadn't done the Bledsoe trade at all they they'd still be sitting on another first too. Well, yeah, and they really I mean the idea to me I that Brogdon would be way better than Bledsoe as soon as this year last year would have been a surprise to me. Now, also that, remember it, yeah, that. That, that, that that's a fair point. I mean, Brogdon, especially, especially his second year, he, he struggled after winning that rookie of the year. So we're, we're saying all this with 2010 hindsight, right? So no, actually, I think in 2010, no one had even ever heard of Malcolm Brogdon. Oh, no, I'm, tu- I'm, I'm turning, uh, in I, terms I, of I vision know, charts. Okay. I'm sorry. Right. I, I'm just, I won't do that again. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. What, what use is it talking about the, the decade before 20? All right. Um, so, uh, going back to that though, the Bucks ran some of the fewest pick and rolls in the league. The way Brogdon has thrived has been they've been running a lot of pick and roll and they've got some really good roll men on that team. Now, you would think, hey, a Brogdon Giannis pick and roll, maybe they should have done more of that. But you mentioned that he was the two. You mentioned that blood. So wasn't necessarily providing as much spacing. He also was injured and came back in the Boston series too. So it's hard to say, you know, maybe they could have evolved more into that over the course of an entire playoffs with two more months. But I think they weren't trying to feature Brogdon as much when he's just come back from injury. And Bledsoe, uh, Bledsoe was actually good in that Boston series too. Yeah. Yeah. He had some ugly shooting games, but he also had the, Oh, redemption against him for. Yeah. Scary season. Terry. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right, here's one. Uh, Common Pa. Mm-hmm. Which Bucks player other than Giannis will have the greatest impact on their success in the postseason? I believe it will be Brooke Lopez. Uh, our buddy Seth Partnow has been talking about him in the defensive player of the year conversation. And you remember, especially in that Toronto series, 
they sucked whenever Lopez uh, was off the floor. So he would be the guy, especially because he's going to need to not only space the floor, but he's going to need to make those really deep three-pointers as well, which, you know, he's kinda, been struggling with that. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. since the summer with USA. Yeah. So, I mean, he takes those. It looks awesome. I think mean, he definitely has the reputation. Uh, but you know, maybe teams like, Hey, he's not hitting it. We're not going to guard him in, over the course of a playoff series. Like that can evolve even if a guy has a decent history in the regular season. Yeah. I, it's interesting because you're tempted to think that he can be schemed off the floor by a, by a smaller, faster team, but nobody's really, no, been nobody able to in do the it. East is doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the Lakers aren't going to clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I mean, this isn't. And he's been one of their best players against Houston over the years. So, I mean, it, there isn't a golden, th- this whole, like, we're going to get guys off the floor thing. The team, the team that could scheme anymore. him off the floor is Milwaukee, <laughs> right? Cause they could put Giannis at five and Middleton at the four and then Lopez has nobody to guard, but yeah. he, he maybe never maybe has to Clippers, play them. Maybe the Clippers. Oh, I could see. It. Yeah. You're right. You could see the Clippers get, getting yeah. funky. Um, yeah. Cause, cause really the way you scheme him off the floor is, you got good ISO guys, and then you're also, you know, and like mid-post ISO guys, not just James Harden either. Mm-hmm. You force him to drive, it's a three, then you go into the help, um, and you get spacing around him. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's do the New York Knicks. Wow, there's a lot of Bucks questions. Sorry we didn't get to all those. Um, let's make this one a lightning round here for the Knicks. Please. Um, any changes that you've seen under Mike Miller at all, basically, uh, is where Chris Purcelli is going. Let's do 30 seconds on that one. You know what? I haven't watched a lot of, a lot of Mike Miller era Knicks. I, I, I'm not sure I have a good answer on that one. Yeah. I think they are playing harder to me. I, I saw them in person in the game where they almost blew a couple of 10 point leads and then, uh, killed the Warriors in overtime. This was against the Warriors too. I mean, the Warriors just have this inexplicably terrible offense. Even with Russell back. Um, so uh, I think one thing that they've done is just they've defended a little bit better. They've played a little bit harder. I think once they were two and eight in that presser for David Fisdale, it was clear to everyone that he was going to be gone. And so it was really hard for him to get some effort. I mean, a big other ish- other thing is that they've had Alfred Payton back yeah, and that, Walt Payton. Yeah. Yeah the, yeah. the one time I watched them, Payton played well. They won the game in Sacramento and it did seem that. That made a pretty big difference. I mean, Tilakina, as much as a fan favorite he's become for some weird reason, is just so limited offensively uh, that he really handcuffs them. Yeah, and he was removed from the the starting lineup in their last game against the Bucks, which did not help the Bucks. Uh, <laughs> they don't match up too well with the Bucks, as it turns out. Um, Few people do. Okay, uh, Tim Beheim, you run another average NBA team. Steve Mills kidnaps your family and for ransom insists that you take one of Frank Nilakina. RJ Barrett or Kevin Knox off of his hands. Who do you pick? I mean, it's got to be RJ. Oh, right? I mean, not even a debate. I mean, yeah. Barrett still has a chance to get some to re- hit some really high level outcomes. I mean, just because he hasn't been awesome right out of the gate. I mean, at his age and with his you know size and profile, I mean, there there's still a lot of upside here. I wouldn't be d- dismissing that yet. Um, Knox, Knox, I think that that pick is uh, heading toward the B word. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I am lower than you on you than RJ. I think I don't necessarily see those outcomes because I just don't believe in his quickness or his shooting. You know, if he were six eight instead of six six, I might be a little bit more of a believer there. But the I mean, the I'm, whole power I, game. To yeah, clarify, ahead. I'm not saying those outcomes are probable. Right, right. <laughs> but there, there is at least like these, 
you know, these windows of probability that can get there where uh, not so much for Knox or Nelikina, right? Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, I always wonder, are the Knicks youngsters really that mediocre? Is it all about the wrong fit and game plan, et cetera, that makes them look so bad? Uh, yeah, and that's from uh, Oren Brooklyn. Uh, oh, thank you. Yes. So – I think I think it's a mix of both. Uh, I think they're not in a great structure, especially on the offensive end. I mean, most of the Knicks' problems have been on offense. I mean, they're just they're just bad. The pieces don't fit at all, and so yeah. it's hard for a younger player to come into that uh, unless they're a lights out shooter, because that's the one thing they could probably use and and really find find their way. Um, you know, even you know, we talked about Alfred Payton coming back, but even for him, I think it's hard to come back and be part of this offense where it's uh, where there, where there's just not a lot of windows for somebody who's not a great shooter to make plays and 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 have avenues to the basket. So, uh, I think I think that's probably the biggest thing. I mean, I, I think we've all heard stories about the different dysfunction there at different times. I'm sure that's suboptimal as well. But I on on the court, I think it's just a hard place for a lot of these guys to play right now. The one guy who probably is okay out there is Dotson because he's a three and D guy anyway. Yeah, and it's uh like not that the Knicks had a ton of draft picks over the years before the Porzingis era, and then they missed out in twenty sixteen, but it's not like these guys have gone elsewhere and been just like so much better than they were with the Knicks either. I mean, we'll see if Smith and Knox and Nilakina, it seems like those guys are all destined to end up somewhere else potentially at, at some point. All right, we got four teams left here. Okay. We'll do a, one more quick ad, and then we will move on. Orlando Magic. Uh, congratulations, Orlando. You had the fewest questions submitted uh, about you, but we still got three. Let's see if we can get to all three of them here. At Pace and Space 1, could the Orlando Magic be in the running for Kevin Love? Uh, could he play alongside Isaac if Isaac uh, played a little bit more center? Boy, I don't. I don't think Kevin Love is the guy for them. I'm not, it would have to be Aaron Gordon, right? It would have to be. And I mean, I guess he he adds shooting and could stuff. Be, uh, but like, could just be the straight expiring contract and like heavily protected first. You know, like uh, I guess they don't have any, any. You know, Terrence Ross maybe or something like that. Because Cleveland needs another guy who shoots. Uh, from the two and doesn't play defense, but you know, maybe, maybe that's what it is. He could be the foundation, and they they get Either, one other piece in there. You're you're loading yourself up with so many three and a halves and four and a halves, which is basically what yeah. this team has already. That yeah. and even if you did say I don't know Gordon and Aminu or something, now you have a Love Vucevic four five combo. I mean, good good night yeah. defense. And, and Isaac right? is already a fa- a four two. I mean, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's the it, there's and then to say, oh well, Isaac will just play center. Well, no, Kevin Love has to be your center defensively. Like he can't move enough to play anything other than center. But he also doesn't protect the rim. That's the struggle with him. Yes. So I I don't like to fit there. I think Orlando's move is to get perimeter help. Uh, whether it's a three who can push Isaac to the four, or it's another high level guard who can push Fultz to a bench roll or can push, uh, you know, one of Isaac or Gordon to a bench roll and play, play with Fournier on the wing. They, they need more help on the perimeter and more just offensive playmaking juice 
on that team. And I just, I just don't see another front court guy being the solution. I think if anything, it's subtraction in the front court where they're trading probably Gordon and trying to get a high level perimeter player instead. The Cav, who I think actually would help them the most is Jordan Clarkson, who's quietly having an underrated season and could give them a little more ball handling and punch off the bench. And he's shooting it well from three. Uh, I, I don't know what the, what's going back there. Uh, with him being an expiring contract but that's that's one that really probably hasn't been discussed enough on the trade market that he's someone who could help one of these lower end playoff teams you know that's probably he's more of a second round pick than a first round pick guy oh absolutely yeah but you know i think that's where the trade market's going to be headed uh is more towards the secondary guy you know they're not as sexy names so people aren't really talking about them but those are the guys who are much more likely to move yeah yeah when, when the you can say hey you know what we agree, you know, Gallinari, it's like, oh, second round pick. Why don't we just hold on to his bird rights? When it's a guy who's not that good, then it's like, oh yeah, whatever we can get for him, fine. That becomes a lot more, uh, movable to me. Yeah. And you usually see that with guys who are like between six and nine in the rotation. Uh, the, the year we were truly awful, we finished 22 and 60, but we did that exact trade with Detroit. We traded James Ennis for a second round pick because they wanted another, uh, you know, quality rotation guy, and he was on an expiring. Like it was the same situation, basically, and and that's how a lot of those deals end up happening. Yeah, you did have it easier there because he, what was he was on the room exception, right? It was like three million. So there was a lower number to get to. Yeah, injury. they send us Bryce Johnson in a minimum contract, if I remember correctly. Um, God, you know it's amazing that the Magic. I've like mentally written them into the playoffs, and they're twelve. They're, they're yeah. I mean, seven, all the projections seven. and stuff have them like clearing it by like seven eight games but they're they're barely hanging on here right now if you just look at the standings uh so here's another one are you buying into the mo bamba reclamation project wow is it that sad that he's already a reclamation project (laughs) doesn't he have to go to another team first yeah or like i don't know turn 25 or something i don't know he's uh he's made some progress you know he's he's had moments I well mean, he's not the worst center in the nba who actually gets rotation minutes anymore i think that's uh that that uh i he's not on the atlanta hawks but uh <laughs> like but yeah i mean he's shooting it okay like that was a question i had is mm-hmm. is he gonna sh- shoot it but i i think to me you know he actually i think his usage is actually too high right now um 19 usage and he only takes 37 percent of his shots from three like i think he needs to just become a pure three-point Brooke Lopez-style specialist and just bomb it from out there uh, because he just has so little feel and strength yeah. and hands inside the arts. It's like, just go stand out there and shoot it. Like, that, that I think is really... It, there's this thought of, like, he should be trying to develop more in some ways. And maybe that's how he gets to be efficient enough. He does block a lot of shots. He doesn't do anything else defensively. Yeah. But the other... He's not great on the verticality. The other thing that you get if you have him above the break shooting threes is that you always have him back. Yeah, I've always thought that's something that's really underrated in transition defense is you have to get your bigs back because when you get your bigs back, then you're not, your, your smalls don't get sucked in and then you're not going to give up threes. You're not worried about giving up a layup at the rim. So yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a pretty good point there. And, you know, I don't, I don't think, I mean, Orlando in general, I think, I think that, that generally plays into how Clifford wants to play too. Uh, not, um, not the three point bombing yeah. so much, but the like taking away transition and just kind of being solid at that end. 
Yeah, and he's not like some amazing force on the offensive glass that like you want him going in there either. I, I mean, but I think him being a game changing defensive player, you know, I think he's more like Bismack Biombo than he is Miles Turner. If you if you want to make a comparison of what he's ultimately going to be, where you know he might do some things, but he's not gonna. You're not going to look at him like, oh, this guy's going to make a, a great defense by himself, which is what you're hoping for when you drafted him. Yeah. I th- I, th- I so, mean, there's there's still time and everything, but yeah, I think that's the that's the probable outcome. I mean, does if he turns into a lower end starting center, that wouldn't shock me. But is he a a guy I think is going to be worth really paying for at the center position? I, I don't necessarily see that. Now, you know, maybe if he really becomes this awesome bomber from three, maybe that's what it is. We've seen guys develop that. He's pretty far along as a twenty year old mm-hmm. or twenty one year old at, in that level. Okay. Um. One more here. We'll do this one quickly. Uh, JDM at option zero. Has Aaron Gordon plateaued due to talent or fit? Uh, I would say it's more talent. I do think on another team, he might have a little more room to expand his game, maybe, but he's, he's a little bit jack of all trades, master of none offensively, right? So it's, it's hard to see how that changes too much in a different environment. Will, will he become a great shooter all of a sudden? Will he become a great passer all of a sudden? Will, you know, maybe he'll have a little more space to do a few more things off the dribble or, run a little more or get a few more alley-oops, but it's it seems more at the margins to me. What do you think? Well, I thought that it looked like when he first came in that he was going to be this game-changing athletic force. And I think he really, whether due to some of these lower body injuries, I don't know what it is, but he's not that anymore. I mean, when's the last time you've seen these just like massive highlight dunks from him that you saw his first couple of years? And, you know, as a help defender, I don't think he's particularly impactful. He's really more useful as a on ball guy who's not going to get overwhelmed physically. Um, and, and then the shooting hasn't come around either. You know, Zach Lowe talks about, well, he's trying to do too much. He likes to do stuff with the ball. Um, so maybe that part of it helps him be more efficient if he cuts that out. But no, I think he's just like, you know, could you see him going to say Houston and becoming more of a switch guy? Uh, someone who, can just shoot the three only when he's wide open. He's got the green light. He shoots 35% from three. I mean, I think if you really put him in like that kind of a system, that might maximize him. You also have enough spacing to where he might be used as a role man sometimes. There's just more overall versatility. Um, so I think there could be a better fit, but I don't think it's like, oh, you're going to be wowed by him and he becomes an all-star somewhere else. Like he's not going to be Sean Marion the way I think everyone hoped that he would. Yeah. That's a, that's a great comparison to what he, because that I think that was when he came out in the draft, people did use that comp quite a bit, and I, th- I think that train has probably left the station. Yeah. Also, I guess the other thing I would say too is like Steve Clifford teams not known for their transition prowess, like a team that ran more could get more out of them, maybe. Which I mean, that, with Fultz playing on the, I mean, they they actually probably should run more than they do. Yeah. Yeah. Fultz does really boost that for them. Uh, okay. Sixers here. Any of these uh, speaking to you? Yeah, I mean, you can you can sort of you can sort of feel the angst in the Sixers uh environment with with questions like this one from Northern Hoops one. Should the Sixers look to restructure by moving Ben Simmons? If so, who would they chase? Is D'Lo a candidate? Uh the struggles they've had offensively, I think uh have have people genuinely worried and I th- I think there's some good reason for that. I think not having Jimmy Butler now uh, and Losing some shooting in those moves they made as well to get Butler and Harris. When you think like, wow, they could have, they could have Landry Shamit and like things might be a lot more open. Um, 
it, I think there's a general consensus they need to do something. Boy, I don't. Yeah, I, so, uh, yeah. go ahead. Zach Lowe was saying the other day he thinks they're gonna kind of keep it together at least for one full year and see what they have with this group. I think that's probably the right move with their with their four or five core guys, just because when you're four bounces away from winning the championship, basically, which you can argue they were. I know they still would have had to get I, through Milwaukee and whatnot. I'm yeah, just I mean, I, I I think Milwaukee would have matched up better against them than uh than they did against Toronto personally. That I I think there's a fair point to be made there, but I also I mean the way their size on defense just swallowed up even good players on Toronto. Yeah. was impressive in that in that playoff series and nobody yeah. else the, could do that. They're always going to have a chance in a series for that reason, I think. But conversely, they they got to find a way to to make life easier on offense and not just win a rock fight every day and you know, can they piece together some of these contracts when you look at Mike Scott at 4.7 or, uh, you know, some of these other secondary players they have, uh, to Ennis, who we talked about, although he's a, his minimum is 1.8. So that's a low number. Uh, you know, some of these guys like Korkmaz, Zaire Smith is at three is kind of a blah G League player right now. Like I, I, you, you know, is that, is that, is it time for them to cut bait on that one and, and put him in a deal? I, I think that. Is, is probably the direction they need to look where it's not so much you're going to subtract from that Simmons, Richardson, Horford, Embiid, Harris core, but can you get a sixth player who's like a 10 to $15 million player who helps you win and, and has more offensive juju to him? Well, here's the other reason I don't think they're going to make any moves. Ben Simmons essentially can't be traded uh, until the offseason because of the raise that he's getting at just the, the outgoing Ingoing, uh, incoming salary is just, it's too difficult with that max extension that he got. Um, let's see here. What else do we have? Uh, Tobias Harris's defense. How legit is it? Uh, I think in this system, it looks good. He's at least big enough to not get overwhelmed physically in most matchups. His weakness is his foot speed, but you've basically got more help behind you than you're going to have in any other system. So I think he, he's, uh, He's made some strides to be good enough to where he's not going to be a liability, and I think that's important. Yeah, I still worry about him as as a three a little bit, but yeah, you, you have Embiid behind you, obviously, which helps, and you have Ben Simmons just generally terrorizing people. And Richardson, I mean, Josh Richardson's your third best defender, right? <laughs> like that's that's a hell of a defense. Um, is Thibault's defensive ceiling Draymond S as uh, Mister Marshall two fifty four? Boy. Title's funny because he's not one of these guys who's like overtly out there pressuring the ball and stuff. Like you don't really feel him. He's like a silent assassin almost. Like you don't notice him until he's running the other way with the ball. And it was kind of the same way at at Washington. I, he doesn't have – I mean Draymond was doing it where he could guard everyone one through five. I I don't think Title's quite that guy. He's just so – he's like a really – a really like I'd almost compare him to how Ricky Rubio is, where he's just so stealthy. Except Thibel is bigger and better at it, and it's more on that level though than it did. Like Draymond gave you like this physicality, regard the other team's five, but still switch on the point guard and yeah. completely lock him up. Like like Thibel isn't quite that. He's a he's a different kind of defensive ace. Yeah, I, I mean he's. An amazing playmaker, but the nuts and bolts he's not as good at. He's never going to be. He's just not strong enough to me, you know, where Draymond could lock up like a Blake Griffin in his prime. Thibault would get overwhelmed by someone like that. And also Draymond just as a, his help instincts, 
verticality plays at the rim in addition to shot blocks than the ability to switch out as well. No. So I, I don't, I mean, people love to compare somebody to Draymond Green. There may never be another Draymond Green, especially when you consider the talent around him that enabled him to be the all over the court. I, I, so I had guy. this, I had this exact discussion a few years ago where somebody said somebody could be like the next Draymond and I just shut it down and said, there is no next Draymond. <laughs> there is, there is one Draymond and yeah. he's playing right now for Golden State and that's the only one we're ever getting. Yeah. And uh, uh, PJ Tucker is a little more realistic. I do think that there's something to be said for if you've got quick feet and long arms and strength, that that is a, can be a very powerful combination and in the right system. Yeah. But you also have to have it a system built around you, right? Like if you're not switching, we've seen that this year with Draymond. In fact, if you're not switching, maybe it's not as bad. Now, not that Draymond's exactly trying this year. Okay, Toronto. Any of these uh, calling your name? Toronto Raptors. Is Norman Powell for real? Which I think is a great question. Uh, This is from Aug24255. I think it's a great question because it's a question the Raptors should be asking themselves – in order to assess what his trade value is for them and whether he is a piece that they would want to put in a deal to get a more significant piece if they want to really try to compete to defend their title this year or next year. Because there are advantages to putting Powell in a trade because you, when you eliminate that 11.6 in 21-22, which who knows, he may opt out of it anyway, uh, but it does open the door to other things that I think are franchise goals when you look at chasing after Giannis or chasing after some of the other high-level free agents in 21 while still keeping Van Vliet and, you know, maybe having, you know, one or two pieces on top of that. So that that's where it gets really interesting for the Raptors. I, I do tend to think that he's he's pretty legit as, like, he's a very good third wing on your team, right? He's probably passable as a starter, but you're – you're probably not over the moon about it either. Like you're, you're still kind of looking around and trying to see if you can do better. Yeah. So whenever someone says it's someone for real, you look at the three point shooting first per 36 minutes. It's really not much different than it was last year. 39% this year, but about the same number of attempts per 36 minutes. And last year he shot 40%. He, he, I will say he does not look like a 39% shooter. Like when you just watch him shoot. No. Um, but God bless him. You go in. Yeah, I mean, he is shooting a career high from two this year. It, it's so do I, I think he's like about right for his salary at, at this point, but has anyone fluctuated from good to bad contract more often and more rapidly than Norman Howell has uh, over like what's now this fifth year of his career? It's kind of like amazing. he's gone back yeah. and forth like five times. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he had a stretch right after he signed the extension where he was completely unplayable and he yeah. kind of worked himself out of that. So. And obviously, at the beginning of his career as a second-round pick, he was a minimum, so he was a, one of the best contracts in the league. And uh, yeah, it's been a yo-yo for him. Now, he, yeah, he's probably trying to finally get into the back where he's like, yeah, okay, he's probably kind of fairly valued right now. Yeah, and he does have a little bit of on-ball juice, attacking closeouts. Uh, his passing is uh, subpar, not a, a big part of his game, I would say. But he could run a little bit of a pick and roll. He can it, get a little bit of an ISO shot. He's good in transition. He's not going to kill you defensively. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a valuable player. Yeah. I, I don't mind him as like a lower end starting two, and that's what he's paid. Like. Yeah, the th- where he does help uh, Toronto is that he is good in transition and he's fast, and just the overall team speed of Toronto when they have you know some of those lines when they have Powell and Anobi Siakam out there. I mean, 
they, they just are attracting me. It is just so fast. Um, and even having Mark out there doesn't really hurt him because Mark's going to zip an outlet pass up the court and hit one of those guys and they're just flying. And yeah. And then he can always step into a trail three if it doesn't uh, occur or, right or away. turn it down. <laughs> or, or at least make the right decision to move the ball. Yeah, around. exactly. That's what he's yeah. going to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sports guy dude one. How should the Raptors handle the overlap between Lowry and Van Vliet? I can handle this one quickly. Um, well, they were playing them both like 37 minutes a game yeah. <laughs> when they were both healthy. So, uh, there isn't that much overlap. They can both shoot offensively. They can both handle the ball. Uh, they're both good off ball guys. And then defensively, they're both so strong and stout and intense that they're fine. I don't think that they're, they take nothing away from each other. They're, they're both starting and they both should be starting. So it doesn't bother me in the slightest. Yeah. They're, but they, you hit on it with the strength. They don't play as short guards, even though they're both really short. Because they're so strong and so tough that they can still handle guarding basically any two in the league. Uh, Steven Gillespie, with the East looking more wide open, how do you feel about the Raptors making another run to the finals? Uh, the East, I'm not sure it looks more wide open. I, there, there's, uh, uh, there's a team yeah, in Milwaukee. No, the, the team that's, <laughs> yeah, the team that's playing like one of the greatest teams of all time in the conference, like to be able to just like forget about that. They have a, a 12.5 net rating right now. Yeah. Like, they're pretty fucking good. <laughs> wow. Is that our first F-bomb? Not at all. I, I, I am averaging like 0.6 per episode. Wow. Okay. I've been I've been tracking them. Huh. Yeah. No, I mean, I want to see what's going to cause your first. I got to step up my game on that front. <laughs> I've been I've, – I've not taken full advantage of the freedom that podcasting offers me to just swear like a motherfucker. And that's <laughs> that's been a shortcoming of mine in this that I need to address. <laughs> No, that's true. I, I think like most most people wouldn't know that you actually have like a, a little bit of a, a sailor's mouth. I think we we really need to let that let that. That's what's through. so weird, right? Like in real in real life, I swear all the time, and then I come on this, and I just automatically clean everything up. Like I'm still, you know, working for a team and have to give nice innocuous quotes. So anyway, um, okay. Last time here, Washington. All right. <laughs> I'm laughing at these questions do, right? because it's all like <laughs> they're all about one player, right? So the real Ian McCoy asks: Is Davis Bertans the greatest shooter in the league or the greatest shooter of all time? He might be like the fourth best shooter in the league. Legitimately, I mean, it's funny because when I was writing my all surprise team for the Athletic, what I realized was that there. So the three players that I had at the top of my list were three guys who all. Basically, were good shooters that realized that they could massively ramp up their volume and be more effective players. When you look at Bertans, uh, Devontae Graham, and Duncan Robinson. Now, there were other things going on too, but one of the biggest things statistically is that they just started jacking and they're such good shooters that it's a value proposition for them to do that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. We, we always say that it's good for these guys to bomb, and especially if you you know, some of these guys, for example, Brogdon is a, is a perfect example, right? He was shooting 40% from three in Milwaukee. And you're like, Hey, you know what? Like, it'd really be great if he took more attempts. Well, now he's on ball more. That's the one thing that's really declining. He's shooting in the mid thirties yeah. now instead of 40% because his, his attempts are harder. They're more, uh, on ball off the dribble. He doesn't have the quickest release. You know, he's not, you're not running him off of screens or anything, but yeah, I think anybody who can shoot like that, if you're shooting 40% from three, you should at least like, 
explore like, all right, can I shoot these on the move? Do I, I always call it the versatility of your jump shot. Can you expand the versatility of your jump shot? Hey, maybe your feet aren't totally set. Maybe you're kind of drifting away and you're still able to jack this up and, you know, shoot 35% on that instead of 40%. And then you get your wide open ones yeah. and you shoot it at an amazing rate and you get to your 40% that way. But no, he's able to do that. And you know, I, I was asking someone in their organization, you know, what they thought of his defense. And, you know, of course they were high in it because that's usually what they say. But they said, you know, he really, he competes. We think, you know, if we had a little bit more personnel around him that he could, he could be adequate. So do, do you agree with that assessment of it? I think he can, you know, he's good enough. Like he definitely tries at a really high level, yeah. rebounds a little bit. Uh, you know, he's tall, which helps. There are definitely situations where he got taken advantage of, you know, when he was in San Antonio. But at the same time, offensively, he's so valuable that, that you're going to live with that at the end of the day. Um, this court of segues in the, into another question here on Washington. C. Calderon 911217 asks, what are the Wizards doing wrong on defense? I mean, what they're, what they're doing wrong is not having any good defensive players on their team, right? Like you, you know, you have Isaiah Thomas and Thomas Bryant and Bertans. Like, yeah, yeah, you're going to get lit. Like that's, that's your team. So I, you know, we, we could maybe quibble with a couple things scheme wise or whatever, but at the end of the day, they just have a bunch of really crappy defensive players. I can't remember the last, like there's always injuries and there's always teams that just like, uh, end up being horrendous defensively or they have bad communication or whatever but at the start of the year between atlanta cleveland and washington yeah teams where you just look at their personality you're like they have no chance yeah they have exactly absolutely no chance to stop anybody yeah yeah and the, the, exactly just coming into the season it was just like uh your defensive stopper is troy brown maybe <laughs> like and you, and you looked at the bigs obviously bryant and wagner like come on like you're you're not stopping anyone with that so, and this is, I had this conversation with Fred Katz before the season of who is the best defensive player in the Wizards. Oh, I had this conversation well, with him too. And, and it, yeah, it wandered into a lot of dead ends. So, and I came up with Jan Mahimi, who I basically forgot had gotten healthy. I thought he was just going to be like, all right, he's going to get the Mozgov and we're just, yeah. he's just not going to play it all this year. He's not in our plans. Well, they've had to play him 152 minutes. They are 14.3 points per 100 better just on defense. Wow. With him on the floor. Wow. And yeah, I mean, I haven't looked at like, you know, the three. I gotta, I gotta be, I gotta be honest, Nate. I had forgotten Mahinmi was on their team until I pulled up their salary sheet for this discussion. (laughs) (laughs) I just completely eviscerated him from my mind. Yeah. No. And and so uh, they're like, but just to have one adult defensive player in the room, like a real NBA big man Mm -hmm. who just doesn't suck defensively just makes such a difference. For them, I think, and, and you know that that number is not going to maintain throughout the season. But over what was there, even Jan Mahimi, after four years of knee injuries and Achilles injuries and all this, is still just like so much better than what they had. I mean, that to me speaks volumes. There. All right, you want to do one more? We'll pack it in here. Yeah, sure. Um, would you try to trade Bertans? Asked uh, Eric Shapiro, or try to re-sign him this summer? I would probably try to re-sign him. I think. You're not going to get killed on his number because there's not that many teams that are going to be your competition that have, that can plausibly pay him. We talk about the forlorn five a lot on this podcast. Uh, I think a lot of those teams are pretty set at the four. You look at it like, is Atlanta going to pay another four? Is Memphis going to pay another four? I could maybe see Charlotte doing it. 
Cleveland, you know, right now their whole team is bigs. And then uh, the Knicks, we'll, we'll see what direction they go. You, you know, the, maybe they could. The Knicks actually, I would think very seriously about him if I were the Knicks. Now, they, they want to, can't mess up the 2021 plan, obviously. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, just to get some kind of spacing around their young players, I think he's like an okay fit with Randall, who's going to be there next year as well. Okay. Let Barrett run some pick and roll with Randall with Berton spacing out, man. Now maybe let, you actually have something offensively. Yeah. Uh, let, let me say this about, uh, the Wizards intentions too with Bertans. I don't think this Anzi's Pesechnitz thing is an accident. Okay. And I, I don't think he was signed because he's like an awesome basketball player who was killing the G League, let's say. Um, so. Oh, cause he's another Latvian there, guy. There's like a Latvian connection here and, and not just the fact that he's from Latvia. There's, uh, other stuff. So, um, I, I, I think there's some of that going on where their intention is definitely to re-sign him. Yeah, I can confirm, uh, he's, uh, he's not an awesome basketball player. Um, all right. This is awesome. Uh, you want to get us out of here, John? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I want to wish everyone a happy holiday season, whatever you celebrate and, uh, wish everyone a, a happy new year. We'll be, uh, ringing it in with another pod next week. So be sure to, uh, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get them. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.